You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And so before we start, we're going to go into some scripture reading. And so why don't we do it responsively? I'll read the odd, and then if I can have the congregation read the even. So you can turn on your Bibles, uh, you can turn into your pew Bibles, or your cell phones, or just look at the screen, and that's right there. So I'll go ahead and get started with the odd numbers. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Yeah, we're going to stop at seven. <laughs> How many of you guys want to hear a story of when I cheated? No? Okay, wow, hands went up real fast, real fast. How many of you don't want to hear this story? Oh, a couple of people, okay, all right. I am not uh, as saintly before as, as I, can, I am now, hopefully. But I want to take us back to when I was in 12th grade, 17 years old. I had physics class, right? And this is me when I was already a Christian for two years. Physics was probably one of my best subjects, and also one of my favorite subjects in the area of science. Because all the other sciences in high school, I couldn't really see it with my own eyes. Right? Biology, all those microscopic organisms. I can't really see it with my own eyes. I have to trust what the textbooks has in terms of all of those pictures. The Krebs cycle. Like, do you ever see the Krebs cycle in real life? Like, no, like you have, to, you have to trust what those pictures tell you about how ATP is formed and how all of those chemical unions are formed. But you can actually see it happening. It was so cool. Our physics uh, teacher showed us all of these case studies. And for example, there was one where he gave us the question of, hey, if you're riding in a car and if you jump out of the car, will you, all of a sudden, will the car leave you and you're lying there splat on the freeway or do you jump with the car? And all of us, we didn't know the answer. So in our minds, we started thinking of, when am I going to jump out of the car next time when I drive? He's like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. And then he, he showed us like different uh, experiments of, of how, how what's, what would actually happen as a result. Well, came the time for, well, from a college equivalent midterms, and there were just these questions that I did not understand because I didn't memorize all the formulas. You know, in physics, there's a lot of formulas, right? But my friend Charlie did, and I can tell because he was scribbling down on my right side all of the answers, it seemed. It seemed all of the answers, all the formulas, all the answers. And what he did next was so compassionate. He looked at me and he realized that I wasn't writing anything. And he, and he nudged me and he said, hey, you want, you want to look? You want to see? Right? Note, I had already been a Christian for two years, okay? And I did the smart thing. I said, okay, what is it? And it wasn't cheating, right? Those of us who know how to rationalize things, we'll use words like sharing, uh, caring, helping one another out. 
the teacher was right in front of us, about 25 feet in front of us. We were sitting in the back left. He wasn't looking. He wasn't looking. So I'm like, okay. So I knew that I was doing something wrong. So I, like, I copied his answers. After the weekend's over, everything was good. Played video games, went to church, hung out with friends, played some volleyball, came back. And then in physics class, period six, he gives us back all the tests. And then on my paper and on his paper were the same exact things written. A big giant circle in red and a big fat F. <laughs> and on both of ours, it was labeled, you were cheating and sharing answers. Please talk to me if you have any questions. It's like, oh man. And so I felt convicted right there. I felt the Holy Spirit convicted me. I said, I'm not going to go up there and talk to them. It's embarrassing. My friend, who wasn't a Christian, got mad. And he went up there and started arguing with the professor. And you know what? I pretended like I didn't hear what uh, they were talking about. I pretended I didn't hear what the, what the teacher was saying. Um, and so I was looking down and just reading the, 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 the physics stuff. But I heard exactly what he was saying. And he said, well, look at Peter. He's not coming up here to argue about it. Why isn't he coming up here to argue about it? He knows that he cheated. And I was convicted a second time. <laughs> my friend came back, you know, come on, come on, let's go and talk to them. Let's, we have to tell them that, that we did, we, I, can't, I can't take an F, like, I can't, I can't, because we did cheat. We did cheat. And after that, he wasn't as friendly to me <laughs> as he was before. But here's the question I want to give you. Was that justice? If there were three words that you can describe what the teacher gave me, do you think the teacher was being merciful to me? Do you think the teacher was being gracious to me? Or do you think the teacher was being just to me? How many think he was being merciful? How many of you think he was being gracious? How many of you think he was being just? Okay, most of you think he was being just. All right, he was being just because I deserved all of that big fat red F as he gave to me. Now, fast forward 12 years. I'm the same guy, right? Hopefully, I've changed. But now I'm in seminary at Talbot School of Theology. Oh. Don't worry, it's not a cheat. I, I didn't cheat again. Okay, I didn't cheat. I wish I did after this. I was tempted to wish I did, but I didn't cheat. I didn't cheat. And I was part of Alan Holtberg's Advanced Biblical Hermeneutics class. Joel knows what I'm talking about. He took some class from Alan Holtberg. He's a great, brilliant uh, New Testament scholar. And part of his class was writing five book outlines of the Bible in his way. So there's a certain way you're supposed to write book outlines. You can't just cheat and take your NIV and then write the, the titles of each heading of the books. You have to write out in complete sentences a good summary of each pericope or part of that biblical book. Now, it's not as easy as you think because all of a sudden, those of you that are smart will go, okay, that's easy. Jude, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Philemon, and you're done in a day right? Because those were like really small books. But we had to choose and select books that he listed. And they were all long books. For example, the book of Matthew. For example, Isaiah. For example, Genesis. <laughs> Deuteronomy. And so he warned us at the beginning of class, at the first day of class, as we're going through the syllabus, do not wait until the last two weeks of the semester to complete these book outlines. You will not be able to do them. 
even if you think you're the smartest person in the world, you will not be able to complete all five. Please start this week. And so what did I do? I did the smart thing. I waited until the last two weeks of the semester in order to do them. You know, there were, there were three other classes. I had, to, I had to buy my time with them also. The, and they all say, don't wait until the last start of this week. And, but unfortunately, I did something bad. I went until the, the second to the last week. And that's the worst, because that's hell week. Right? Finals is the last week. So that, the week before, you're studying for your finals. And the last thing that you want to do is five giant book outlines to be completed within 14 days. And so I started the first one, and I immediately realized, this is not good. This is not good. By the second week, uh, on, I had two more days left before the semester end. I had only completed two and a half book outlines. It was impossible. And so when that happens, what do you do? Right? You can beg the professor, which I wasn't going to do because I had too much pride in honoring me. Uh, he, I mean, he told us specifically, don't do this, right? Uh, or you could do what most people do, is you then go back to the syllabus and you look at how much point totals that you would have if you only did three book outlines and got everything else perfectly and hope that you pass the class. So I went there, looked at the point totals, and to my horror, at best, I would get a D in the class. And most likely, I would get an F. Why? Because only if you get perfect on everything would you get that D, right? Now, Ds are okay because Ds still get degrees at Talbot, <laughs> so I can still pass. But the thing is, it's just shameful. You got a D as a pastor in advanced biblical hermeneutics? You're supposed to get like an A or a B as a pastor in that. It's like I'm a volleyball player. You know, I, I, what if I got a C or a D in volleyball? That, that's embarrassing. I should be getting an A or a B, right? And so I just prayed. I said, Lord, forgive me. Uh, please show me grace and mercy. Turned those in. Didn't turn the last two in because I didn't do it. I didn't have time to do it anymore. There were three other classes, three or four other classes I had to work on. And just hope for the best. And I was thinking probably next year I'd have to take this over again, spend more money, spend more time, probably find another professor that's probably easier. <laughs> One month goes by, and... I finally get the note that you can check for your, your grades, right? And so I go online, I check my grades, and I look for the Advanced Biblical Hermeneutics by Alan Holtberg, and I was shocked. I was shocked. He gave me a B. He gave me a B. Not D as in dog, B as in boy. He gave me a B. And so at that point, if you're smart, you just take and run, right? You just take it and run, the problem is, I wasn't just smart, I had a conscience. And so in my, in my thinking, I was like, wait, that's a mistake, because the best I should get is a D, but I shouldn't ask him, because I got a B, so I should just take it and run, right? But then I started thinking more, wait a minute, what if he recorded someone else's score and gave it to me, and recorded my score and gave to them? That's wrong, right? I, I, can't, I can't live with that but maybe I should just run with this because what if he didn't do that, right? What if he just gave me a B and was mistaken and, and you know, it's his fault for doing it wrong, not mine, right? And so I did the smart thing. I didn't run with it. I emailed him. And I asked him, is this a mistake, Professor Holberg? Did you record someone else's score for me? Because according to my calculations, I should at best be getting a D. Two days later, he emails me back. And he says, 
you did get a D. <laughs> but I'm giving you a B. Uh, because I saw the way you did your first two book outlines, and I know you know how to do them, and you did them well. So if you had more time, I know you would do the last three, or the last two that you didn't do well. And then the last sentence was this. <laughs> Peter, please remember to start early, because as I told the whole entire class, if you wait for the last two weeks, you will not be able to accomplish this. Please remember this for your other and future classes. Sincerely, Dr. Holberg. I emailed back, thank you so much, thank you so much for the B, I don't have to take it over. And also, I know you were very gracious, and you showed me great mercy. You were gracious and showed me great mercy. Now, my question to you is this, if I only said you were very gracious, would that make sense? Without the mercy part. Let's say I said, you showed me great mercy, but not say anything about grace, would that make sense? Right? And some of you are like, well, we've got to define these terms now. Exactly. And we're going to figure out what does mercy mean and what does grace mean. We know what justice means. But grace and mercy, oftentimes, we just use as two sides of the same coin as synonymous terms, but they are actually different. Let me ask you another question. Who is the most merciful person in the world that you know? Who is the most merciful person in the world that you know. Some of you will say Mother Teresa. Some of you say, oh, my auntie or my grandmother. Some of you will say Jesus, right? But check this out. How many of you immediately said God? Raise your hand if you said God, okay? Only a few people. Now, if you, okay, raise your hand if you said Jesus, all right? Okay, so, but when you think Jesus, were you thinking God Jesus, or the man Jesus. There's a difference. Okay, I know they're the same person, but were you thinking of him as a human being or him as God, as the second person of the Holy Trinity? Right? Often we don't think of God being the author and the greatest person who represents mercy. And there's a problem with that, because if God is not the author of mercy, then who is the author of mercy? It's not Mother Teresa, because mercy was around a long time before Mother Teresa. It's not Abraham Lincoln. Mercy was around a long time before Abraham Lincoln. Some people think, oh, maybe it's Ruth, right, the biblical character. Mercy was around a long time before Ruth. If God is not the author of mercy, then you have a problem because you don't have an author of mercy. You don't have an originator for mercy. Now, classically speaking, God has always been seen as the author of mercy because mercy is one of his communicable attributes. But the problem is, often we don't think God is merciful. Instead, we think God is just. God is a judging God. And some of us who have read through the Bible will even give a bit of a more nuanced answer. We'll say, well, God in the Old Testament is a judge. But God in the New Testament is loving, kind, and merciful. And so there's two different gods you see, if God truly wrote the Bible, then it would be the same, but it's not. So the human offers, authors erred in that area. God is just seen as a God who is judging in the Old Testament, and God is seen as a God who is merciful in the New Testament. But even that is inaccurate. Even that is inaccurate. 
And I'm going to posit to you that the God of the Bible is the God of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and He is way more merciful and way more gracious than He is judging. Contrary to popular opinion and contrary to most of Christian opinion today. How do we know this? Well, first of all, when you say God is a merciful and loving God in the New Testament, you guys forget one thing, right? Now, hopefully it won't be you guys and gals because you're more theologically astute than this, right? But no one, no Christian ever, and no skeptic ever considers revelation. Is revelation in the Old Testament or New Testament? In the New Testament. And the level of judgment of revelation, is that bigger than the Old Testament or not as big as the Old Testament? It's probably one of the largest and most intense and horrifying judgments of God found and is found at the end of the New Testament. Probably the only judgment leveled upon us by God in the Old Testament that would be equivalent to that or better than that, depending on your interpretation of it, would be the worldwide flood where only one family escaped God's judgment and destruction. Revelation is going to be worldwide. So often we forget about Revelation. So if we account for Revelations, we realize that, oh, wait, maybe God is a judging God. But hold on, that's still inaccurate. When you look at the Old Testament, how long of a narrative in terms of years is the Old Testament? At least 6,000 years. If you take a young earth creationist view from what Bishop Usher delineated, you have at least 6,000 to about 10,000 years of history in the Old Testament, right? How many years do we have in the New Testament? 6,000? Less than 100. And so why does it seem like God is more judging in the Old Testament and not as judging if you don't account for revelations in the New Testament? Well, because he has 6,000 at least to 10,000 years to show his judgmental powers, his holiness, his awesomeness against sin. Now, if you count throughout the Bible in the Old Testament how many times he judges, there's about 60 occurrences of major judgments of God in the Bible, going through Israel, going through uh, before Israel was Israel, during the time of Judges, uh, during the time of Abraham, and before that, with the flood of Noah, before that, all the way going back to the fall of mankind, um, when the first sin of Adam and Eve happened. About 60 times. You know what that means? That means if the earth is only 6,000 years old, there's only one judgment on average every 100 years. That's it. 60 times, right? And for some reason, we still consider God as a God who's judge, who's righteous, who's holy, more so than he is merciful and loving. Because if God only judges one time for every 99 years, why do we forget that for 99 years before he judges again, there's mercy, there's grace. It seems that most of the time in the Bible, God just allows us to do what we want to do and even answers our prayers. What's going on here? I thought God was a God of judgment. God was a God of vengeance. But for every year of judgment, there's 99 years of mercy and also grace that God gives us. And then we get to the New Testament, right? 
and then we have about 100 years, and we see one major judgment. Actually, two, if you want to count it as such. First of all, we see the judgment upon Christ himself when he took all of the sins of the world upon himself, and God the Father judges him for that sin. And he is able to expunge that sin so that all of us who believe in him could have eternal life and be in his his kingdom. And then after that, we have, depending on how you interpret it, the book of Revelation, the next great judgment. Let me posit to you that when we think of God as judge, it says something more about our sensitivity to the righteousness, holiness, and judgment of God than it does about God himself. Because just looking at the objective truth, God is more a God who is merciful and gracious and loving than he is a God of judgment. And that says something more about our problem with judgment than God's problem with judgment. And we need to align our thoughts and our life, our biblical understanding, our theological understanding with what is truly revealed about God in Scripture, that yes, he is judge. Yes, that he is holy. Yes, that he is righteous. But he is ever so much more eternally merciful and gracious upon us, even here on this earth. Now, going to what is said in the Beatitudes, we find out now why Jesus shares in verse 7 in chapter 5, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Remember that in the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to show us two things. What are the valleys of heaven versus the valleys of the earth? And how do we live a life of heaven here on this earth? And then he says the Beatitudes, and we get to the part in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And if you remember, there are throngs of thousands of people that are listening to him and following him, mostly from the poorer class, 99% of them from the poorer class, who have not received mercy. And in their minds, the people who are blessed, the people who are happy, the people who get everything, are not the ones that are merciful. It's the ones who conquer. It's the ones who use violence. It's the ones who use harshness in order to attain all of the riches and popularity that they have. For example, the Caesars of the time. For example, the Herods, who were not merciful at all. Herod, who tried to kill Jesus by taking out all the kids, all the boys in Bethlehem who were two years old or younger. Herod, the same Herod, who, if you can believe it, that wasn't his worst sin. He killed over 100 of his own military commanders who he thought was a threat to him, murdered them, He killed one of his own wives because he thought that her hereditary lineage would be a threat to him. And he killed three of his own children because he thought their hereditary lineage would be a royal threat to him as well. Truly, it wasn't blessed who were the merciful, but it was blessed who were the ruthless. And they're the ones that would receive all the blessings. But Jesus turns it around and shows us, no, in heaven it's going to be different. In heaven... Those who are blessed are the ones who are merciful. And that's how I want you guys to live because I want you all to live the kingdom life here on this earth to share with everyone what it's going to be like in heaven. For they will be shown mercy. Think about yourself. In your life, when something evil happens to you, do you respond with vengeance 
with justice or with mercy. When someone slanders you and attacks you, do you respond with vengeance or do you respond with mercy? When someone flames you on an email, do you respond with vengeance or do you respond with mercy? When someone cuts you off when you're on the freeway, do you respond with vengeance? Even internally, even if you don't do anything, but inside your mind, you want to flick them off. Right? Do you respond inside your mind or outside of it with vengeance or do you respond with mercy? The life of heaven is the life of mercy, not of judgment. Because when we go up to heaven, all of us are only there because of mercy. It was Jesus who was full of mercy and full of grace. We need to define what mercy and grace is, right? We all know what justice is. But do you know what grace is? Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is when you do something bad, but you don't get what you deserve. Mercy is when you do something bad, but you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you do something good, or when something good is given to you, even though you don't deserve it. Grace is when something good happens to you, even though you don't deserve it. And so Jesus was full of mercy and grace because Jesus himself took our sins upon himself. He took something that we didn't deserve. We, well, we deserved to go to hell. Well, he took it for us. So he gave us mercy. And when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, he gave us grace. Because not only did he take upon us our punishment, but he gave to us something that we didn't deserve. He gave to us fellowship with God. He gave to us the Holy Spirit. He gave to us forgiveness of sins. He gave to us eternal life when we get to heaven. Jesus was full of mercy and grace. And that's why Dr. Holtberg, in my advanced biblical hermeneutics class, was full of mercy and grace as well. He didn't give to me what I deserved, an F or a D. He gave to me what I didn't deserve, a B. And so forever, I'm going to be thankful <laughs> to Dr. Holberg. If I see him on the street, I'm going to go and shake his hand, offer him a drink, offer him a meal. And the same way, Jesus gave us that mercy and Jesus gave us that grace. And forever, we should be thankful and appreciative to him as our God and as our person that gave us such great mercy and such great grace. When we enter into the kingdom of heaven after we pass on, which we are a part of now already, all of us enter because of God's grace and God's mercy. It's not because of what we did that we get to go to heaven. It's because of what Christ did for us, for him offering us mercy so that we wouldn't get what we deserve, hell, and for him offering us grace so that we get something that we don't deserve, heaven. It's all because of Jesus Christ's life death, and resurrection. His work on the cross gave us that mercy and gave us that grace. And so for those of us who are living here in this life, we are to walk in the life of mercy and grace more 
then we walk in the life of judgmentalism. And this is why James chapter 2, verse 13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray.